And I just find it very depressing if somebody retires and, and, you know, two years later they're back in the industry working for somebody else because they get calls from people, you know, they say, oh, your phone's going to ring off the hook when you retire. It happens to everybody. And, you know, how sad is it that people can't find something better to do than work? You know, when you don't have to work anymore for money, shame on us if we can't find something more fulfilling to do than work, you know? I mean, to me, that's just sad. That's Fritz Gilbert, blogger at theretirementmanifesto.com, one of the fastest-growing financial blogs on the Internet. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, he talks about the financial independence retire early or FIRE movement and how to make the most of your retirement. Also, three tax tricks just for retirees and more on the Trump administration's proposed tax reform. Let's hope you can still use those three tax tricks. Plus, Joel, I mean Joe and Big Al answer your calls and emails on donor-advised funds and day trading. And Joel, I mean Joe, goes off on the the differences between risk tolerance and risk capacity in response to an email asking about moving a 401k. All because Juan didn't say hi, Joe. I mean, Joel. No, wait. Anyway, here are Joe. Yes, Joe Anderson, CFP and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Alan, I, what, we were on Jordan Goodman's show. Yeah, that was fun. He had us on for an entire hour. I felt honored. Did you really? Yes, very honored. Those questions he was asking you, you felt, so how's that going to affect the economony? Oh, uh, God, what do you think about the markets? I was well, like, the, have you listened to one show? You're on our show, Jordan. <laughs> well, We're not was, economists. It was mostly about the uh, the tax reform That's United framework. Not, that's probably not going to happen. But, uh, he, I mean, I guess it's a natural thing to say. Do you think it's going to pass? And then, and then the next question is, what do you, what sort of impact of the economy? And I noticed a, a lot of times we said, well, we're not economists, so this is our opinion. This is my opinion, and then that's about as good as we could do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, with this whole estate tax issue, right? You know, it's it's interesting w- when you hear about the estate tax. It's like, okay, well, you know what? Th- that's only for the ultra rich and yeah, right. so on and so forth. And sure, yeah, it is. But hypothetically, Al and I saw a young couple this week in their 20s. We have a lot of hypothetical meetings, don't we? We do. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're not busy. In our we mind, just make it up. Virtual reality, <laughs> because, augmented reality. Yes. We think we're in a meeting? Yes. Got it. Uh, so we met with this young couple in their 20s, and this guy's his mother died, and she had a fairly large estate, but it was kind of a unique scenario where. In in that in this instance, it was the first time I was like, you know what, you know, the estate tax is kind of if it was a little bit more lenient in a sense of how to kind of pay it, right? Because I'm from Minnesota, right? You know, I, I've heard farmers lose the farm and you know this and that because of the estate tax. No one, you know, they die and the the, the farm is worth X because there's so much acreage there, but they're farming it, right? And they're not making a ton of money, but yeah. then the kids don't want to sell the farm, but then they, you know, they have to sell the they farm. They have to. There's no choice. There's, right? right. How do you pay the tax? So a similar scenario. The estate was basically two homes. Right. Yeah, but uh, you know, a couple valuable homes, right? And, well, and one very valuable. One very valuable. That, you know, right? it's like, well, do I want to sell this? And you know, or if I, or if I want, if I sell it, uh, maybe I'll have to fire sale because I've got certain restrictions on when I need to pay this. Yeah, tax. it's like an eight million dollar home. You got probably fifteen thousand dollars a month just in maintenance for the you know pool guy, the, right. the gardener, yeah, you know, uh, cleaners, you know, everything else. And right. it's like, you know, how, how, how do I do this? And then. And, you know, there's blood in the street. If they hear, uh-oh, well, you know, so-and-so died and they need to sell this house. And, sure. Oh, you know, yeah. so it's just kind of sad in that scenario. Well, it is. And, and, of course, this can apply to if you've got a 
big family business, not unlike a farm, right? You've got a big business and it's got a decent cash flow. I mean, you're covering your salary and maybe your kids are employed or maybe not, but maybe the kids are employed. They're going to take over the company, but now the company's worth 20 million bucks and your state tax is about $8 million on that. And it's like, well, how do you get that money? Well, I still want to run the business. Yeah. So I guess I got my job. Got it. To, I, so I got to borrow. I can't even borrow eight million. So I guess I'm going to have to sell the business, and that that's that that is the side of of why estate taxes aren't really fair. And there's a there's an even stranger situation, Joe, and that is if someone sold a property or sold a business and they have a note receivable from the from the buyer. Well, that's value. You have to pay tax on that note, even though you have no cash. How do you get cash to pay for that? Yeah. Let's say I'm going to pay you $10 million over the next 10 years. Right. And so that's $10 million note in your estate, and you got to pay $4 million tax on that. And you haven't received a dime from yeah. that note yet. Right. How, how do you do that? <laughs> right. right. So there, there's definitely some challenges. And, and so, I mean, but I, I guess in, until you kind of think about these things, you think, well, these wealthy families, it's a drop in the bucket for them. No, no big deal, and they just they they you know they pay the tax and move on, and maybe this is the right way to redistribute the wealth, and 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 even Warren Buffett says we should have estate taxes because otherwise we're going to encourage family dynasties. I don't know whether you agree or disagree with that. I'm just saying that's what he said. So I don't know. Well, there's like the there, Vanderbilts and the Rockefellers yeah, right, and the Fords, right? And, and so there's there's both sides. But when you see it hitting people that you wouldn't really consider ultra wealthy that are just trying to keep their family business in the family. That then it kind of you kind of think yeah there's something wrong here yeah but I guess it's always planning though I mean you can always zero out the estate tax well you can there's different kinds of trusts and advanced estate planning techniques where you can do that you are right the the problem though is almost every technique that you can come up with there's there's side effects you give up some control or you give up cash flow or you give up some some of the benefits of this particular asset and and in, in many cases the the you know the patriarch matriarch matriarch doesn't want to do that, and I, and I understand that too. Yeah, you, you gave a good example, and that reminds me of like those commercials. It's like if you take a pill, you get the side effects. Right. So was, I was watching TV last night, and there was a, a sleeping pill. Yeah. You know, and it's like you know you see this you know attractive woman, she's laying in her bed, nice pillow. Yeah. You know, if you have trouble sleeping, have this. I, I forget the name of the drug. Right. But that you know, and it's all nice music and a beauty, and all of a sudden you. But the, the side effects, you, you can have crazy nightmares and walk around oh, yeah. and you'll kill someone. I know and, that, right? <laughs> right. And they say that. And as if you fa- wake up in the middle of the street naked, uh, don't blame us. Right. And they, they say that as fast as they I know, can. Just like, so you can't even understand. What the hell did they say? And then all of a sudden the beautiful music and a or, butterfly or, comes or flying runs back across into- the stream in small print that there's no way you could actually read it. I mean, you'd have to have a 200-foot TV to read that right. print. This will have suicide thoughts. <laughs> Don't have an yeah. ounce of alcohol. If you, if you feel suicidal, stop taking the drug. Before. Yeah. You, you, right. Before. Oh, God. <laughs> Let's see. Anything else on uh, the tax reform? Before we got about a minute. For those of you, probably that, not going to happen. For those of you that haven't heard about it, uh, basically, it's 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 reducing our our tax rates from seven different brackets to three different brackets. The highest one being thirty five percent, down from thirty nine point six. The corporate rate comes down. They they continue mortgage interest and charitable deductions, but they eliminate medical. Deductions. Yeah, but this is all going back to the drawing board. It, it seems like well, it is. But I'm know, just saying what the what, right right. What, I'm, what, I'm what, curious what, on yeah. what 
what the next thing is going to look like. Well, it's it's true because, and I will I will just editorialize here for one second. So this tax reform united framework that was announced about three weeks ago by our president, it's nine pages, nine. Well, the and, next one will be twelve. And the first three pages are just fluff. What our goals were. Well, the first page is is a nice logo. Cover page. It's it's the first page is a logo, and the second page is a quote, and the third page is here's our goals, and pages six th- four through nine is the tax uh, reform thing but i will tell you there's a lot of big print and a lot of blank pages well isn't that what we want al like page simplicity well yeah but (laughs) (laughs) keep it short and simple (laughs) like how tall is the tax code if you set the tax code up right in those volumes it's like six feet tall right yeah more than that i think it's according to the last I heard was Roger Hedgecock, and of course he he knows all. It's about fourteen feet. Okay, fourteen feet. Yeah, to nine pages. Nine pages. Actually, four. Yeah, but life is more complicated than this. There's there's <laughs> there's so many things that aren't in here that will have to be figured out before anything could ever be voted on. That's the problem. Have you ever seen this movie? And I know the answer, and I don't know why I'm asking this, but I am anyway. Uh, the, the the Book of Eli with Denzel Washington. No. So that's the movie I was watching. Got it. So he's got the Holy Bible. Okay. And he's in like some crazy, like, I don't know what happened to the world, but it was very bad. Okay. It's in the way future and everyone's killing each other and everything else. And because the Bible is gone, but he's got the only one. Oh, okay. And so everyone's trying to get at him to get to the Bible. Right. Okay. Right. And then he's like killing all these people and he's like martial arts expert and shooting people. And then guess what? Spoiler alert, he's blind. And so they finally stole the Bible, but the Bible was in Braille. Oh. So he went to this little promised land where he wanted to deliver the Bible, but he recited the Bible word for word. Okay. And so why I'm saying this is that this guy's writing the Bible now, and it was like 10,000 pages. Right, got it. Anyway. Okay, well, that's a good, really good addition to this show. (laughs) That is called filler. That is called filler. So how is this massive tax reform from 14 feet worth of tax code down to nine pages going to affect you? (laughs) No filler there. Regardless of whether it passes before the end of 2017 or not, it's time to start year-end tax planning now to help you not just this year, but for the rest of your life. Call Pure Financial Advisors at 888-994-6257 and make an appointment for a personalized tax reduction analysis. That's 888-994-6257. Don't wait until the last minute. Find out how your current tax strategy may be changing before the end of 2017, which is just weeks away, and what you can do to reduce your tax burden. Get a forward-looking, personalized tax reduction analysis at no obligation or cost to you. Call 888-994-6257. That's Pure Financial Advisors at 888-994-6257. Big Al, it's that time. Yeah, I can't wait. You know, we've been doing this podcast and radio show for it feels like 20 years <laughs> yeah it does doesn't it what is it's been about what 40 years it, it feels like it but we got this gentleman on the phone or on uh, on the line he's got a blog it's the 10 fastest growing personal finance blog yeah in the world how the hell did he decide to come on our show it's it's a mystery to me. It is the retirement <laughs> manifesto. Anything with the word manifesto in, it's like we gotta it's get him. Gotta be good. Let's right? talk to Fritz. He's been holding on. Fritz, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey guys, it is truly an honor. I appreciate the chance to talk with you. Well, tell me what 
Tell our audience a little bit about your background. It's very uh, unique. You're going to retire early at 55, and you're a commodities trader, and then you're now you're writing blogs, the fastest growing blog. I mean, w- w- what the heck is going on? I, I tell you, life, life's been good. You know, I guess uh, I just uh, I'm always willing to try new things, explore things. You know, the blog was just something I played around with a couple years ago when I just wanted to uh, kind of you know take a flyer at it and see if it might be something that I could start up and continue after I retire. So um, quick story of my life, you know, went to college, normal routine, business major, got a job in corporate America, and uh, I'm the last of the dinosaurs. I did, uh, I've done 32 years so far in one company, uh, multiple jobs, moved around the country, nine different places, and uh, fortunate enough to have a pension, so between the pension and uh, pretty aggressive savings, we're going to be getting out next summer at the age of 55, my wife and I, and our daughter uh, just got married this summer, and she moved up to Seattle, so we're truly empty nest and getting ready to fly. We're excited about it. So right now... You, we're, you're, we're, we're doing this podcast. Al and I are in this hot box <laughs> studio. And where are you again? You're at the in the Appalachian Mountains looking at some... And, a, and it's some nice cabin. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, Drinking a cold beer. I kind of hate to rub it in, but I'm kind of sitting out surrounded by the nice Georgia pines, looking out, nice breeze blowing, blue skies. You know, it's October in Georgia. It's the best, best month of the year. So I hate to rub it in, guys. But yeah, life, life's pretty good, you know? <laughs> well, we feel sad now. Although we live in San Diego, so we got we have nothing to complain that, about. That, okay, touche. You got me there. I, I'll give you that. San Diego's a beautiful got, town. We, you guys live in a beautiful part of the we country. Have, we have this big blue thing called the ocean. It's pretty cool. Hey, I'm a cold water swimmer too, so I, I would uh, love to swim in the in the Pacific uh, beaches off of San Diego. That's right. uh, yeah, that's a personal interest of mine. I love to swim. So, you know, I got in this business in the uh, late 1990s, and I think the mantra back then is that everyone wanted to retire at age 55. That was the goal until 2000 and 2002 hit, right? And that hurt a lot of people. Yeah. And then 2008, and then now most people are you know be happy if they could retire at age 75. <laughs> True. Yeah. What is the secret? Tell our listeners, all right, at age 55, that's an aggressive age. And then I'm sure you have heard of the you know the FIRE movement with a lot of the millennials are looking yep. at saving 80% of their income. I mean, let's be reasonable. What, what did you do? What were some of the steps that you took to be able to achieve financial independence at such a young age? Yeah, that, that, there's a couple topics there. Let's let's talk about kind of the, the traditional path, and then let's weave in the fire. Because I, I am kind of part of the fire community. I talk to a lot of those folks. I'm going to FinCon next week, so I'm you know I'm pretty active with that whole group. And I and um, but first from a how did I get out at 55 standpoint? You know. Um, Probably the most important is, and and you know this is too late for a lot of your listeners, but it's important to state. You know you got to start early, and when you start a job at 22 out of college, man, plowing. You know at a minimum, get the 401k match. You know and and start bumping it up. You know I've listened to Grant on your show uh, recently where he said hey, bump it up a one percent every month. I mean that's crazy. You know, if, but if you can bump it up a couple percent a year, maybe you get a three percent raise. You take two percent of it and you tick up your 401k contributions. You know you do that for a career. And and try to average fifteen to twenty percent. You know, I, I probably started at maybe a little under ten, and now I'm probably saving close to you know thirty plus, maybe forty. Um, you know, if you can ramp that up and do it for a lot of years and keep it invested in stocks, you know, through the you know twenties, thirties into your forties before you start getting into asset allocation for retirement and let it grow and just leave it alone. Dollar cost average. You know, that's the ticket. It's save. You know, spend less than you make and do it for a long time. It's, it's not rocket science, but you've really got to be diligent at doing it for a long time and and doing. It as aggressively as you can, and so bridge that over to the fire community. The difference with the fire community is they're all trying to do it, you know, by the time they're 40. So they're saving 50, 60, 70 percent. You know, you don't have to be that extreme, but the principle's the same, right? You just spend less than you make, and depending on how much less you spend, 
just kind of triggers how quick you can get out. So um, I think the other point that's important for your listeners is, you know, if you're 45, 50, and you haven't really started savings for retirement yet, it's not too late. You don't have to freak out. You can kind of apply some of the same principles that the, you know, FI financial independence, retire early, the fire community, apply some of their principles. It's never too late to start. And if you are starting late, just be more aggressive and you can still get out at a a reasonable point in time. So there's a lot of overlap between the two communities. You know, I think the biggest problem is that people focus on the wrong things. And if, you know, I love the fact uh, of trying to increase your savings by 1% per month. And then so Al and I, of course, we're like, yeah, we're going to do that. <laughs> and then one month later, Al, did you start yet? No, not yet. Next month. Thanks, Brad. <laughs> we had to get a new stove. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But I mean, it's hard, but you just got to keep throwing money at it, you know? And then I think people, oh, well, what's my asset allocation? Yeah, that's all very important. But if you if, if you don't have any money, the allocation means nothing. So exactly. you got to start with throwing some money at it, get committed to what your goals are, and save as much as you possibly can. And then from there, then you can start taking different layers. But I think people start, well, hey, you know, this mutual fund has a 1% fee versus a 0.5% fee. Oh, I'm not even going to save into my plan because the fees are too high. Well, what are you talking about? Save and then figure it out later. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And and I think the other big thing that people make the mistake of is they get caught up in the lifestyle inflation. You know, if you're doing good in your career, you get a nice promotion. It's like, hey, you know what? I've always, I deserve that BMW or whatever, right? Resist the temptation to have your spending go up as your income goes up. Even if it's kind of tough when you start out, it, it, it's not as tough to avoid lifestyle inflation and just jack up your savings rate as your income goes up through your career. You know, that that's a more manageable way to get into it. But yeah, you're right. The, the, you know, for the first 10 or 15 years, don't even worry about it. Just throw it all in a you know a mutual fund you know global stock thing and, and let it rip and and you know start tracking your net worth and wake up ten years later and start caring about the details but until then you know until you get up to you know a couple hundred thousand or let's say a hundred thousand or above just save don't think about anything else just just throw it in there and forget about it it's not that hard yeah and and I I would say, I mean just thinking about this so I'm I'm sixty and I'll be retiring here at some point but when I was uh, I mean I don't know I'm thinking forty forty five then the goal and all of my peers the same thing. We're going to retire at 50, right? And then it was 55 and then it's 60 and now we're still working. But, <laughs> exactly. but, but I will, I, I want to ask you this because I, I think this, the, this whole fire group of, of people wanting to retire younger is great, but just simply having the money to retire, that's kind of only half the story. You're spot on with that. And I've written a lot about that. You know, I've been writing about two and a half years now, and I started out purely focusing on the financial side. And, you know, the financial side's pretty, you know, it's not straightforward, but you can learn it, right? You can learn about pre-tax, after-tax, Roth, mega backdoor rollovers. You know, you, you guys are ex- experts at that, and you're very good at it. But to me, the part that probably deter- deserves more attention and gets less is what I call the softer side of retirement planning. It's that, what are you going to do post-retirement that, that gives you that same purpose and fulfillment and joy of life? I mean, what a shame if you work 30 years or you're super FI and you work 10 years, it doesn't matter. What if you get out and you've worked all these years to save this money and suddenly you're depressed and unhappy? You know, that happens to people. And, and it's not really an area that people focus on as much as I think they should. And it's an area, especially as I'm, you know, nine months away, eight months away from retirement myself, you know, I'm spending a lot of time writing about it, thinking about it, about it, reading about it. It's it's a really important area that you need to put some, you know, some real brain time into before you retire because it's important. You know, we've been doing this show for a while and we've never really talked about the softer side of finance until Big Al started 
getting a little bit older. Until <laughs> I got older. And I brought up the, the I, I, I brought up the uh, the gap year, the, and Joe said, "What's that?" And I said, "What's well, this article about? You take a gap year between your career and retirement, do all these crazy things." And he didn't seem to think that was an interesting idea, but I thought that was great. I'll tell you something kind of along those lines that you could do that's not quite as extreme as that, but something my wife and I are thinking about doing. You know, we're going to get a fifth wheel, we're going to travel, we got a cabin, so we can kind of close the door and leave. You know, a lot of weekend cabins up in this area, so you can leave it for six months. And, you know, we're thinking, hey, let's go out and work in Yellowstone for the summer. Or, you know, let's go pack Amazon boxes for the Christmas rush. You know, it, it's not something we're going to have to do for the money, but it's something that, you know, for us, it's kind of going to be interesting to just experience different things. You know, I mean, you've got to find ways to explore and and keep things fresh and, you know, develop that curiosity. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. So, yeah, it is, it, it is it, you know, building on the guy's uh, article you're talking about there, you know, there are ways that you can apply that in a, in a less radical way. We're talking to Fritz Gilbert. Fritz, hold on a second. Uh, we got to take a short break. You got to check his blog out. It's called The Retirement Manifesto. We'll be back in just a second. Show's called Your Money or Wealth. Is a fifth wheel in your retirement future? Do you know what's in your retirement future? Here's how to make sure you're ready for a successful retirement. Visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to download our free retirement readiness guide. This guide contains little known secrets about creating income to last a lifetime, making the most of your investing strategy in retirement, controlling your taxes, and much more. You'll learn seven plays to help you get retirement ready despite the uncertainties we may face. Download the free retirement readiness guide from the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Welcome back to the program. The show's called Your Money or Wealth. Joe Anderson here. I'm a certified financial planner with Big Al Clopine. He's a CPA. Appreciate you tuning in each and every week. Uh, we're talking to Fritz Gilbert. He is the Retirement Manifesto, ranked one of the best blogs. He's up for a Plutus Award finalist for the best retirement blog here uh, in 2017. Fritz? So, so you're kind of facing this right now. What and 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 I think most people know they need to give this some thought. But what? How do they go about it? What are what are resources or what? How should they be thinking about it? Yeah, no, that's that's the hard question, right? I mean, there's no easy answer. I, I would argue the financial side of it is is almost in a way easier than the than the soft side of it. And and I would argue that you know for most people that are really on a track to be you know retiring early, they're probably more leaning towards the type A personality anyway. I know I am. You know, you're always busy. You're always active. There's a reason you're good in your job, right? You're you're kind of driven. And, and that personality probably has a more difficult time making the adjustment than somebody who's more laid back. So, um, you know, I, I, I can't really speak to what the answer is. I can I can kind of speak to what we're doing, but it's really, um, I'll give you an example. You know, we're, we're up in the mountains now. My wife is at the cabin. I'm, I'm still working, you know, for a little while. So she's up here, you know, and I, I have a little apartment. I come up here four nights a week in the cabin and three nights down in the city. So she's up here a little bit by herself with our dogs and whatnot. So, you know, we're talking about this. Hey, we got to find a way to explore and try new stuff. So, you know, she's like, you know, I've always wanted to do pottery. And I was like, well, take a pottery class. So just like last week, she signed up, she took this pottery class. She loves it. You know, and now she's like on fire for pottery. And, and it's great. You know, I think I think you just have to be open to what intrigues you and be, you know, show that same initiative that you had through your career to reaching out and trying new things. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on swimming and I'm joining a group of, you know, I met a couple of guys who swim up here in the lake. I, I, you know, I'm going to try to swim, you know, 10 months out of the year. Um, you know, I started the blog, right? Um, I, I think it's, 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 recognizing that you've got to find something to fill the void and just experimenting, you know, be open to it. 
Yeah, it's funny. I think uh, you know, throughout your your professional career, you end up with these ideas, but you don't have enough time. You're you're you got a career. You're raising a family. You're you've got responsibilities, and and it's like, well, now it's like it, it's at a point where, all right, those ideas that they're always popping in your head. It's like it's it's maybe it's just kind of go ahead and take action. I, I think that, and you know, something else that I've done. I've got a little Google sheet. You know, I keep notes all over the place, and I've got this Google sheet. And I, you know, I'm, I'm building up a bucket list, things that interest me, things I might want to, you know, maybe I want to learn how to play guitar. I've always wanted to learn to play guitar, right? I mean, just random thoughts that you kind of, you know, you're reading something, and oh yeah, that's something that I've been interested in. I, I just bought a drone, right? I mean, I did that because I want to develop aerial photography and making videos, right? I mean, I don't know what I'm doing yet, but I, I'll learn. And I, and I think finding a way to capture those ideas when you come across them, and and be able to pull them back out at the right time. Yeah, that that's probably not a bad step. You know, if you're, you know, one to five years prior to retirement, start building that type of a thought process and figure out a way to capture the thought. Well, I mean, we, we see clients quite often and, you know, they retire 55, 60 and a couple of years goes by and it's just like, hey, how's retirement? And it's like, uh, <laughs> you know, I think I might have retired a little bit too early because right. Didn't, we hadn't yeah. thought that out. Right. Because we focus so much. Do I have enough money? What about inflation? What about taxes? How do I position my assets? How am I going to create the retirement income? What is my Social Security strategy? How do I maximize that? You know, what about the kids, college education and so on and so forth? And then all of a sudden you get all of that in line and then you pull the trigger and you walk away from your job but I think a lot of times people don't get that a lot of their social circles might leave with that job you know unfortunately or fortunately I'm very very close with a lot of um, people that I work with you know we happy hours on Friday we play golf or and you spend a lot of time with those individuals but as soon as you retire you know sometimes the phone stops ringing if they're especially if they're still in the office and you got a Tuesday afternoon yeah you want to play golf well no what the hell are you talking about I'm still working (laughs) exactly yeah and 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 I think you know trying to be intentional you know one of the things we did is we moved to our retirement town I mentioned that earlier you know we live up in the mountains now we moved up here intentionally about a year and a half before we retired and we did that on purpose so that we could start getting involved in the community and start developing, you know, developing relationships. We volunteer at a, at a dog rescue thing every Saturday, you know, and we're, 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 you know, I met these guys I'm going to be swimming with, um, you know, we are trying to find ways to get ingrained in the community and it's obviously totally removed from work. It's hundred miles away. So we're, you know, we're trying to build those relationships now that will be there then when we retire. And, and, and it is a big part of it. You know, the more you enjoy your job and the more you enjoy your coworkers, I think the more important it is to make sure you're developing those things for the transition. No, that's key. I mean, it's like you vo- you're practicing it already before you take the leap, you know, yeah. because you, you move out to the mountains and all of a sudden three months later, you're like, I, I hate, I love the city. You know, I, yeah. you, you know, I like the mountains maybe every, uh, you know, a couple of week, yeah, weekends on, out of on the a year. Weekend, yeah. Yeah. But now I, I'm living here, man, this is awful. And if you've already pulled the trigger and you're out there in the mountains, man, it's like, right. Exactly. Well, I'll tell you a story on that. It's funny you brought that up. You know, we had a weekend place up here for five years. We rented it. We made some nice income off of it, but it was always intended to be a retirement cabin. So sure enough, we move up here a year and a half ago. Okay. Life is good. Right. And, uh, when we started living full time in what had previously been a weekend cabin, we started noticing things about it that, you know, we're like, you know, really, this isn't exactly what we wanted, you know, for a permanent retirement place. So we're like, well, you know what? We're, we're not married to this place. We're not, you know, we're, we're flexible. We're, we're trying to figure this out as we go. Let's kind of rethink what we want to do here. And we, we kind of call it our good to great move. Yeah, it was good, right? We really enjoyed it. It was good. But what could we do to make it great? And we started coming up with a list of criteria. What, what did we really want? I'll give you an example. You know, you're in the mountains, so all the roads are steep and driveways are terrible and everything else. Well, we're going to have our fifth wheel. It'd be nice if we could park our fifth wheel on our driveway, right? So that's one of the criteria. And we had maybe 10 of these things. 
And we said, we're not in a hurry, but let's just start looking around again. And if we can find a place that checks all these boxes, great, you know. So guess what? We found the great cabin, and we've got a driveway where we can park the fifth wheel, and I can walk through the woods and fly fish on a river behind our cabin, and we can build a, we did build a big dog run for our dogs because they're important to us, and we got a nice big flat area behind. I got a nice big tool shed. You know, everything on our checklist, we were able to make the change for. So it is important to try to live somewhere and experience it before you're there full time. And, and even if you don't do it until you retire, that's okay. Just, you know, you're still flexible. Be flexible. Keep yourself flexible and be open to how do you want to change your plans as, as, as life happens. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I mean, I was just thinking about my dad who had so many hobbies. And by the time he retired, it, it, he said he retired because he didn't have time to work. And I think that's a good attitude to have. Yeah, and I'll tell you something else, too. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but, you know, I've been hearing more and more a lot of the guys. You know, I'm one of the older guys now, right, so a lot of people have retired ahead of me, and I keep an eye on them, especially since I blog. I like to see how the transition's going for people. And and I just find it very depressing if somebody retires and, and, you know, two years later they're back in the industry working for somebody else because they get calls from people, you know, they say, oh, your phone's going to ring off the hook when you retire because, you know, I'm well-known in the industry and it happens to everybody. And, you know, how sad is it that people can't find something better to do than work? You know, when you don't have to work anymore for money, shame on us if we can't find something more fulfilling to do than work, you know? I mean, to me, that's just sad, so... Thank you, Fritz. Appreciate <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, Joe's going to have to work on it now. <laughs> <laughs> i got to start getting on the softer side yeah, here. Yeah, right. Hey, I want to I, I, I want to change gears just for a second. We've got another sure. minute and a half. It's, so, so for our listeners that are maybe two, three, four, five years away from retirement, what are, what are maybe the top two or three things they should look at financially? Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's good. I wrote, I wrote an article called Five Things uh, Somebody Should Do Five Years Before Retirement, and I, and I don't have my computer in front of me. But um, basically, I think, you know, if you're about five years out, the important thing is to really start paying attention to this stuff. Look at how much money you've got. One of the things we did about five years out that was really helpful is we tracked, and as painful as this is, we never did it once in our lives, but we did it for a year about five years ago. We tracked every dime we spent for a year. And we said, okay, we've got to do this. Well, we made it 11 months. We didn't make the full year because it was intolerable, but it's really important. And then what we did is we took that, that itemized spending and we said, okay, what, what are these items going to drop off when we retire and what items should we add in, right? So, um, okay, I'm not going to need to whatever for work, but I'm going to, you know, we're going to be paying for campgrounds, right? So we, so we made the adjustments and we came up with a realistic spending plan. I think that's important because you've got to know what level of lifestyle do you need to fund before you can determine if you've got sufficient assets to be able to fund it, right? So start with the basics. How much money do you need to spend? And then you guys know the 4% rule. We're going to be closer to 3% because I think the 4% is probably inflated with, you know, we don't have to get into that. But I think starting to then convert that spending requirement into what your portfolio need to be is probably the right next place to go and get a sense of how close are you to being on track. You know, those, those are the two biggest things to start setting yourself up to think about retirement. And then we talked about the softer side. As you do that, I think it's also important to really start thinking about what do you want your post-retirement life to be? Where do you want to be? Are you going to downsize out of your house? You know, all those softer sides, because you really need to do that to figure out your spending requirements anyway. You kind of want to know what type of lifestyle do you want to lead. So it kind of goes naturally with the process. Those, those three things to me are probably the most important things to do. And my, my, you know, my humble opinion when you're, you know, five years out. We're talking to Fritz Gilbert, the retirement manifesto. Hey, so do you have one of those, um, or does your wife have one of those spinning wheels with with pottery 
Not yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if we buy one. Uh, <laughs> then are you going to watch like the movie Ghost? Yeah, that's and, right. And, that's right. Yeah, you get a little music can, in the yeah, background. I'll, I'll be Patrick Swayze. I can't remember was he the ghost or was it uh, Demi Moore? One of them. Anyway, yeah. Patrick Swayze was the ghost. Come on. <laughs> Come on, I'm not Fritz. Good at movies. I'm not good at- so good. All right. Well, hey, I I, I want to congratulate you on all of your success. Good luck. We got what the Plutus Awards. You're nominated for yeah, what? Award. That was a big deal. That's like uh, the Academy Awards for bloggers. It's voted on by your peers, so it meant a lot to me. And it's uh, I'm one of the top five. Well, there's five finalists in the retirement blog category, so I was really honored and humbled to get that. And uh, you know, if, if you're interested in retirement, get out there and start reading. You can read my stuff, but there's other stuff too. You know, read it. Start start learning this stuff and start developing your own plans, and uh, life will be a lot better for it. Oh, thanks so much, buddy. Hey, congratulations again, and hopefully we can get you back on the show real soon. I'd love to. We can do it after I retire next June, and I really appreciate the honor of talking with you guys today. Thanks much. All righty. That's Fritz Gilbert, the Retirement Manifesto. For even more useful information, visit YourMoneyYourWealth.com to access white papers, articles, webinars, and hundreds of video clips on tax planning, investing, retirement planning, social security, estate planning, small business strategies, and tons more. It's a veritable treasure trove of information just waiting for you at YourMoneyYourWealth.com. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture in handy bullet point format. This week, three simple tax tricks just for retirees. This is from CNBC, and they kind of preface this uh, with as Washington inches closer uh, to the largest overhaul of the U.S. tax code in nearly th- nearly 30 years, retirees with large sums saved in 401ks or IRAs may be feeling nervous about their money. Uh, often they want a crystal ball to know what the tax rates will be in the future. Unfortunately, unless you've got a DeLorean time machine sitting in the garage, there's no way to know uh, when and if these changes will happen, which I agree with. A DeLorean time machine. Yeah, right. From Back uh, to the Future. Back to the Future. You did watch that movie. Yeah, I've seen all three of them. <laughs> Just the main main movies. Got yeah. it. Mainstream. Mainstream. La La Land. Yeah, I did see that. I like that one. I know you do. Because <laughs> I'm a positive, optimistic guy. <laughs> Got it. You know. So do you want to know what those three simple tricks are? I do. Okay. Number one is save money by helping others. Uh, and this is starting the year you turn 70 and a half. The IRS requires requires you to begin taking a minimum amount annually from your retirement accounts. This would include the IRA, the 401k, could be a 403b or other types of retirement accounts. And it's it's calculated by formula, in case you didn't know. When you're 70 and a half, you take your balance in your retirement account and divide it by 27. That's the factor, which is also just about 4%. I think it's about 3.7. But multiply your uh, account by 4% or divide it by 27. That's, that's kind of what you're going to have to take out of those accounts. And some of you have done a, a great job saving, and maybe you've got pension plans. Maybe you don't even need your required minimum distribution. And if you're charitable, you're allowed to give it directly to charity. And that's up to $100,000. You just have, have to have a pretty big retirement account to have an RMD, $100,000, but they will allow you to give that much directly to charity. So then what happens is it's not... Well, up re- to that amount. Uh, up to that amount. Yeah, sure. Uh, up, if it's like you. 10 grand, you can do that too. Do 10 grand, yeah. Yeah, or if it's if your required distribution is 10 grand and you want to do five directly to charity and keep five, then that's fine too. So if you give it directly to charity, Joe, it does not show up on your tax return and therefore you do not pay taxes on it. 
Why would someone do that again? Because it all has to do with your income, your Schedule A, and if you're um, if you itemize, if you don't itemize. Because sometimes you know, because if you think about it, if I give to charity, all right, well then I can put that on my, I could deduct it. Yeah. So so for a lot of people that itemize their deduction, what's the difference, right? They, in other words, they have a ten thousand required minimum distribution that shows up as income on the front of their ten forty, and then in their itemized deductions, it shows up if they want to give it to charity. You know, they take it. They take it from their IRA. They pay tax on it, and then they give it to charity. Shows up as a tax deduction. Their taxable income will theoretically be the same. So why is there a benefit? And it turns out there's a lot of reasons why you might want to do that. Probably the most obvious one is if you don't itemize your deductions, because right now the standard deduction it's uh, it's a little over sixty five hundred dollars, or about sixty five hundred dollars for an individual. It's it's close to thirteen thousand dollars for a married couple. And if your itemized deductions are, are Lower than that, well, you know, giving to charity isn't really going to help you because you get you get the standard amount no matter what. Right. So that would be a way to to save taxes. A lot of folks they don't necessarily need their um, required minimum distribution, and if they don't if they give it directly to charity, then they have less income on their their 1040, so they they pay less less their social security is tax, taxable. Right, Medicare or something. Right, maybe they get to deduct more losses from their real estate if they're over a hundred thousand dollars. That would be another one, or if they have less income on the front of their 1040, maybe they have less of their itemized deductions phased out. Maybe they have less of that Medicare surtax because that comes up at different income levels. Sure, you keep yourself in that 15% tax bracket, then you have no capital gains tax. Right. If you sell a capital asset. Right. Yeah. So it's it depends. I mean, I will say for for some people it, it won't really matter that much because they they get they have income and a deduction or they have neither and they're in the same place. But I would honestly say it's probably the majority of folks that would have would get some kind of benefit if they're charitable anyway. If they want to give their required minimum distribution or part of it to charity, that they can do that and get a benefit. Number two, Joe, is do a Roth IRA conversion as soon as you retire. Agree? Disagree? Yes, but you don't want to wait until you retire. You might want to take a look at it today. True. However, this is this article is three simple tax tricks just for retirees. That's oh, the for, name of that. Oh, that's as soon title. as you retire. Yeah. Yes, sure. I mean, you're right. You, you probably would have wanted to do them sooner. But that's, that we see this miss all the time. They retire. They're 64 years old. They, they're living off their savings. They're keeping their IRA and 401k growing. They don't have to pull money out to 70 and a half. They got almost no income on their Form 1040. In fact, with itemized deductions, then maybe they have negative income. Right. Shouldn't you be doing Roth conversions in the years where you got negative income and then fill up the 10% bracket, 15% bracket, maybe even in some cases fill up the 25% bracket? It all depends upon what your income is going to be in retirement. But take advantage of the lower tax brackets while you can. Absolutely. You have to take a look at it year by year. Um, and there's more than just that. You have to look at, well, what is your retirement income picture going to look like? What do you have as income? What's your pension if you have one? Do you have Social Security? What does that look like? Do you have uh, real estate income? How much money have you accumulated in your overall retirement plan? What age do you want to retire? And what does your required distribution potentially going to look like? So, I mean, th- there's a lot more calculations. There's a lot of assumptions that you got to make, too. 
because we have no idea what's going to happen with tax rates. We have no idea what's going to happen with the overall stock market. But you can make an educated guess, and I think that's the best way to look at this, is to say, all right, well, maybe I assume a certain rate of return of how my assets are going to grow inside my retirement account. I can then look at, well, what I can assume that my fixed income sources will be, such as my pension, Social Security, what other income sources. And then you look at the RMD, and then that can tell you roughly, you know, given what tax rates are today, what bracket you could be in. And then you look, all right, well, am I going to be in a higher bracket, lower bracket? What does it all look like? And then you can start strategizing. But I'm here to tell you, Al and I have been doing this a few days, right? And we have thousands of clients, and I would say the majority of our clients have monies in Roth IRAs. And a lot of our clients have hundreds of thousands of dollars in Roth IRAs that they have converted over the last several years. I don't think one time someone came to me and says, Joe, I'm so upset that I have all this money in a Roth. Right. The taxes are paid. It's forgotten about. And now they know that, hey, I can pull all of these dollars out anytime I want or never pull them out. And I don't have, I'm not subject to a required distribution. It goes to the kids or heirs tax free. I mean, it, there's just more flexibility, I think, when you take a look at that instead of saying, you know, oh, I don't trust what's going to happen with Congress. I don't trust what, I mean, well, then live your life that way. I don't. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm looking at everything and planning appropriately to put myself in the absolute best position uh, to have the most success possible. Yeah, I think that's what you have to do. You, you kind of have to go with the tax laws as they stand right now. Although I will tell you this. Some folks are saying, well, maybe I'll be in a lower tax bracket if this tax uh, framework passes, tax reform passes. Well, interestingly enough, you got to do your Roth conversion by December 31st. So if you want to do one for 2017, you have to do it by December 31st. But you have all the way until the extended due date of your tax return to undo all or part of it. So that means October 15th of 2018. So do you think maybe a year from now, we'll have better clarity on what the tax reform, whether there was one or what it's going to be? Do your Roth conversion now, particularly if you're in a situation where you 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 know you think it's going to make sense for you, and I'm telling you, a lot of you folks are. It's going to make sense for you, probably more than you think. You, go ahead and do the conversion now, realizing you can recharacterize it. Now, if you file your return in April, that's fine. Just make that decision in April. But you have till October, and a lot of folks that normally file in April, they go ahead and extend their return till October just so they have that more flexibility. Not a bad idea. Now, realize if you extend your return, you do have to pay the the estimated tax with your extension in April, so you don't get out of paying the tax. But then if you decide to keep it, you've already paid the tax, if you don't keep it, well, then you obviously you get a refund or you apply that to next year. So a couple of different choices right. there. Or, I mean, if you wait six months, what's the um, penalty on that? Yeah, like if you don't pay the tax. Uh, and then you pay it in um, October. In, in October, yes. Yeah, so you, you get charged interest, which is 3%, and late payment, which is half a percent a month. So it, it equates to about a 9% annual rate. So this would be half a year, it'd be 4.5%. So it's, it's not inconsequential, but it's not gigantic either. It's not like it's 100% penalty or something like that. Joe, I will tell you the third one, uh, which is separate your stock during your 401k rollover. 
that's the net unrealized appreciation. But that's when you have company stock and uh, in your 401k, uh, you might want to consider this strategy where you actually pull your stock out of the 401k, this is after you retire, and you put it into your brokerage account uh, and you do pay taxes on your original cost basis, what you paid for that stock. But all that unrealized gain, first of all, you don't pay any tax on that until you sell the stock. And when you do sell the stock, it's a capital gain tax. That's net unrealized appreciation. So if you do have company stock inside your 401k plan, before you roll that money out, make sure that you understand the law. San Diego, join us for a one-hour lunch and learn on October 25th. That's this Wednesday, as we look back and review the year's major headlines and discuss what may be ahead. Learn what the data is telling us about the economy's health, what financial experts predict for the end of 2017, and which details you should pay attention to. Visit purefinancial.com slash market update to register for this free event. Lunch is included. Hurry, this market update lunch and learn is coming up fast. Visit purefinancial.com slash market update. Now, if you've got a burning money question, just call 888-994-6257 for your chance to talk to Joe and Big Al and have your question answered live during Your Money, Your Wealth. That number again is 888-994-6257. 888-994-6257. Let's take a call now. I think we got Tom on the line. Tom, welcome to the show. What can we help you with today? Thank you, Joe. I'd like to get some information, if I can, regarding donor-advised funds and uh, the benefits for myself and uh, the charity that uh, the funds may go to, if that's part of this, and how difficult is it to set up? Yeah, I'll, I'll take a stab, and Al, you can kind of clean this up. A donor advised fund, first of all, for our listeners, is a fund, or it's almost like your own private foundation that you can basically establish for a very low cost. All the major custodians put them together. Fidelity, we just had Fidelity Charitable on um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab, you name it. And what you can do is front load any type of contributions uh, to get maybe a larger tax deduction in a given year. So maybe you're giving $10,000 a year. But maybe you want to put $100,000 into a donor advised fund, you would get $100,000 tax deduction today. That money sits in this donor advised fund. You can invest it how you choose and you can dole the money out as you choose. And so when you look at that, it gives someone a lot more flexibility potentially from a tax perspective. Uh, but Tom, it's they're very, very easy to set up, very inexpensive for the most part. And I think, you know, in most cases, um, you could give up to like $50 to $100 gifts. Um, so it doesn't have to be anything huge. Uh, but I think initially you, you might need to put about $5,000 into them. Okay. Yeah, a couple other things, Tom, is, um, as Joe said, it's, it's, a, it's a way to take future year contributions and deduct them in the current year. Maybe you have a big tax year where you got a bonus or you, you sold a property or, or you, there's some reason why you're in a higher tax bracket. So it'd be perfect to go ahead and, and get a little bit more tax deduction in the year where you have high income. That's a lot of times why people do it. And then you, get this, you have this fund that you get to, to designate what charity it goes to whenever you want to. And uh, so 
But of course, realize you need to be charitable. I mean, some people, they this is a one-way street. You put the money in, you can't take it back. So that's that's one thing. The other thing about it to realize is you can put your own cash in it, and that's great. You put $50,000 cash in it, you get a $50,000 tax deduction. Better yet, if you've got stock securities, mutual funds that have grown in value, appreciated stock that's outside of your retirement plan, you put that in. And then you get a tax deduction for what it's worth the day you put it in, but you don't have to pay the tax on the gain on sale. And so you're getting basically a double benefit there, avoiding the tax on the gain on sale and getting the full charitable deduction. What would happen if you wanted to donate stock that you believe will be appreciating in the near future and it's uh, not publicly traded at this point? You want, you wait. Yeah, you wait. I, I don't. I think I don't think a lot of the donor advice funds would even accept a private company stock. Okay. Yeah, because once it goes in, that's what. Let's say it's worth two dollars a share. You put it in the donor advice fund today. You're going to get the tax deduction for two dollars a share, even if they held it. Right. The the donor advice fund is not going to pay tax on any of the gains, so that would help. But I'm not sure if they would. Uh, allow you to do a yeah. private. So I would hold it outside, continue to wait to see what happens, and then now that $2 a share is now worth 2000 a share, then you can put whatever dollar figure into the donor advice fund. You get a tax deduction, and then I would sell the other shares outside because that tax deduction could offset any of the capital gains that you would receive when you do sell the um, those other shares. Okay. Does that, does that make sense? Yes, it does. Thank you. Yeah, something else to realize is when you put cash into a donor's advice fund, you can you can deduct up to fifty percent of your adjusted gross income. When you put appreciated stock in, you're limited to thirty percent of your adjusted gross income. So you can't you can't completely zero out your income, but you can reduce it substantially. If you put more in the donor advice fund than then you can actually deduct in any given year, then you can carry it forward for another five years, and you go through that same test again in the following five years. In the first year, can you supplement the stock with cash to get up to 50%? Uh, you could you could do a combination, yes. And so what would happen there is it, it would it, you get some of that contribution would be at the 50% amount and some at 30 And I think the way that the tax software does it is it starts with a 30% on the stock and then limits it. And then if, if there's some cash part, then it, then it would take it up to the 50%. So the answer is yes. Hey, I got another question for you. What, what's the ultimate goal? It sounds like, all right, we have this company um, that that you have ownership in that it potentially is going to give you, um, you know, some some significant gains. Do you want all of that to go to charity, or do you need to spend some of it, or because there there could be other charitable um, plays that you could do that would potentially avoid the capital gains tax as well, give to charity, but you could also benefit from some cash flow as well. Well, I was looking primarily in this particular year because of a large long-term capital gain to be able to offset some of the tax that I would have on that. And I have the potential to use some of this appreciating, or what I believe will be appreciating stock today to offset 
some of that gain. Okay, so you already sold uh, another security or another asset that, that that you already have a large capital gain, and so you're looking at, hey, before the end of the year, what, what type of planning that you could do to mitigate this. You also have another security that's privately held that's also potentially going to give you another gain. Then you were thinking of using some of that to help offset the gain of the sale of the asset that you, that already occurred this year? That's correct. Well, t- it sounds like Tom, you're. We, we got to be talking to you for financial advice. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> what's, what's this guy into? Hey, uh, let me let me follow up, Tom. Do you, do you normally have uh, a lot of ordinary income as well, or is most of your income capital gain? Uh, my income is not typically uh, very large. Okay. Um, I had invested in a company uh, maybe six, seven years ago, and it was sold at a profit. Okay. Significant. Okay. The very first distribution of that, I really had not prepared at all. Now I'm getting another large amount, and I'm trying to uh, mitigate the uh, tax ramifications yeah. if it's possible. And as you said, the amount you're getting is capital gain. So, right. and the reason why I ask that is, if you typically have higher ordinary income as well, sometimes the donor advice fund is not the best solution because you're you're taking an ordinary deduction and netting it against a capital gain at a low tax rate and not getting as much benefit <coughs> as you might think. But that's where you'd have to run tax projections. But that doesn't sound like your case. Okay. Hey, Tom, are you married or single? I am married. Married, and um, do you know what tax bracket that you're in without the capital gain, with with your just standard um, income that you receive right now? Uh, it's either the tw- twenty five or thirty. Okay. Well, how much income total do you have besides the capital gain? Maybe a hundred. Okay. And so, yeah, you're in the 25% tax bracket. Got it. And then, so how much is um, the, the the gain? Because are you going to, you might be subject to uh, the Affordable Care Act. You might jump yourself into a higher capital gain as well. Do you know how much roughly the gain is going to be? About seven hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah, that's going to blow you up, huh? That that hurt. That 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 first distribution hurt a little bit. <laughs> so yeah, now you got to worry about that seven fifty. Al is going to put them at twenty percent capital gains rate plus three point eight percent Affordable Care Act or the net investment income tax, and then whatever state tax that you're paying. So California. you're you're in California as well. Okay, so that's thirty five percent that you're potentially going to lose right there off that seven fifty. So yeah, I would. Sc- the, I think the donor advised fund. Um, if you didn't sell, uh, but you already bought that property or um, that asset, because there could be, um, you know, a charitable remainder trust that you could put some of those assets in and sell it. The trust sells those shares. They don't pay any tax. You get a tax deduction for that. You can invest those assets how you please, and then you could potentially get an income stream from that as well. So there could be a couple of jockeying moves, but uh, yeah, the donor advice fund is a cheap way to do it. You you can set it up yourself. Uh, you don't have to get you know attorneys and huge uh, legal fees there. Um, so hopefully that helps. But typically, the financial institution that sets it up would sell that asset that I gave them. Yes and no. 
It depends on, yeah. on what financial institution that you go. There could be like a third-party fiduciary that basically over the, will do the oversight to make sure that whatever charity that you choose is actually a 501c3. Right. Uh, that's a legitimate. Um, but you, you could give your money. To, it's your money. You could give it to whoever you want. But as far as the asset going in, you you can sell it or you can keep it there. You actually designate how you want it to be invested. Yeah, they're not going to invest that money for you. It's not you're not putting it like that. So you would still be the trustee of it where you could pick and choose your investment. Okay. Because, I mean, I, I have tried to talk to Schwab or other financial groups, and the first thing they want to do is sell the asset I give them. Well, yeah. It, well, it depends. Because if, they if probably want to manage they the wanna, money. They want to manage it and charge you, but not all of them do that. Okay. I'll keep looking. Okay, Tom. Thanks a lot for the phone call. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much for your guidance. All right. Congratulations on everything. It's time to dip into the email bag with financial questions courtesy of Advisor Insights from Investopedia and you, the Your Money, Your Wealth listeners. Joe and Big Al are always willing to answer your money questions. Email info at purefinancial.com or send your questions directly to joe.anderson at purefinancial.com or ellen.clopine at purefinancial.com. We got one from Mike from San Marcos. He asks a, a, a straightforward question. Can I day trade in my Roth IRA account? I'll let you answer that one. Mike, what are you doing? Why would you want to day trade your Roth IRA? Well, what if you make lots of money and that's all tax-free? But what's the probability? <laughs> well, the probability is not great, but what if he was the one that's really good at but, it? No, don't day trade. Can you day trade? And uh, well, it depends on the custodian. Well, I guess the the answer is generally yes. You, you can you can day, you can trade as often as you want in a Roth IRA. It's not a it's not an account where you can only make investment allocations once a year. Well, it well it depends on the the investments you select, and it depends on your custodian. It depends on a lot of different things. Um, but, but what's what's wrong with day trading? There's a high probability you're going to lose everything. So what what is day trading? Is you're you're trading hundreds of thousands of securities or trades on a day-by-day basis. Yeah, in other words, you're, instead you're of getting so, in and out in a micro minute. Yeah, it's, instead of uh, instead of buying let's say the an S&P 500 index fund or and, just and, even and let, let's say you want to buy Apple stock. Right. And hold on to it. Right. Yeah, that'd be another way to go. Day trading is uh, is frequent trading. I guess it doesn't have to be each day, but it's it's generally quite frequent. Right. You're looking at charts, you're looking at momentum, you're mm-hmm. looking at a lot of different things. And saying, all right, well, here I need to be placing these trades to try to, you know, get a couple of, per- you know, you know, you 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 hear the commercials, right? Oh, sure. How about a couple percent per day? Right, that'd be nice if yeah. it was uh, reliable and uh, and dependable. But yeah, the answer, Mike, is absolutely. I but be careful, right? Because it is challenging, difficult to get money, and I get why he wants to do it in a Roth because there's no taxes. So if he's tr- day trading in his taxable account. Right, you got to, and if he's good at it, if he's successful, right, right. then you're going to get a lot of short-term capital gains. Short-term capital gains are taxed at ordinary income. Yeah. So all of the gains that you're getting is getting wiped out, you know, with the ordinary income tax, depending on what tax bracket he's in. Yeah. So wouldn't you say this? If if, this is a big if, I agree. But if you are a successful day trader, you'd probably rather do that in your Roth than in your non-retirement account. 
for the taxes. Next question. <laughs> answers I'm yes not to going that. to encourage day trading. <laughs> I, I'm not either. And, and the reason that we don't encourage it is because day trading presumes that there's clear crystal balls on what's going on. Uh, in this case, sometimes minute by minute. And you know what? When it, they're when not it, even looking at any. I mean, they're looking at the charts. They're looking. I know they're looking. It's at no charts. fundamentals. Yeah. Well, maybe Mike does, but it's not. He, uh, he's not well, diving into their financials. You can't. Well, you, you can't do day trading on fundamentals. It doesn't change that much in the hour, but the chart can. Right. <laughs> anyway, if, in case you didn't figure this out, we're we're not very big believers in the charts. We we're we're long term investors. We think that's the much higher probability of success in the market. So here's another question. This is Juan from San Diego. He says, "I got 150,000 in a 401k." Uh, he says, "Hi, Al." Well, I I wasn't gonna. Yeah, he did say, "Yeah, hi, Al." Yeah, what about Joe? Juan, yeah. killing me. <laughs> Seriously, it's it never fails, <laughs> never fails. But I, one thing we did with um, experience this week. Yeah, we did. Was, there's a gentleman that is a big fan of the podcast. Yep, and. So he was in our office meeting with one of our advisors. So we popped in, said hello. And I guess the, our advisor, Allison, said, hey, did you have you done anything interesting at all? No. But hey, can I meet Joe and Big Al? Right. Yeah, I guess the guy, that. like, he, had, he was like hanging out with Trump in the Oval Office. But <laughs> meeting Big Al was better. Well, uh, and, and Joel. And he, he knew your name. He said, I don't know why people call you Joel. You're Joe. Yeah. But that has been 50 50, right? Yes. At best. <laughs> Thank you, Casey. We appreciate your listenership. Well, Juan, and, uh, yes, he did say hi, Al. Yeah, um, so Juan, this is not tax chat with Big Al. <laughs> this is called Your Money, Your Wealth. And if you realize, who does all the intros and the outros? It's me. Oh, it's that, not Big Al. That's just the pitch, man. I'm the content. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, man, how about that one client? He goes, yeah, you can get that marketing guy out of the... Um, he doesn't need to be in the <laughs> meetings. Of marketing guy? What the hell are you talking about? You're the marketing guy. Yeah, pit, I don't know anything. You're the pitch man. Yep, and outs. Exactly. Shamwals. All right. <laughs> you're right. Well, anyway, here's this question. Hi, Al. I got $150,000 in a 401k with Vanguard. Uh, it's money I do not need for the next 10 years. I'm retiring in six months. Should I stay with Vanguard or Spiders? Uh, IRA, no return. I don't know what that means. Or Sp- Spiders, IRAs, no return and charge a lot. What should I do? Not worried about high returns. Thanks for your advice. I, I'm missing the meaning of that sentence. Should I stay with Vanguard or Spiders? Maybe that should be a period. IRAs no return and charge a lot. Oh, his, I guess he's saying his IRA, he gets no return and they charge a lot. What should I do? Okay. Well, well if his money's at Vanguard, they don't really charge all that much. Well, he, it, but that's his 401k. Well, I don't know. Anyway, anyway, so... You have a globally... All right, one. Yeah. here you go. Because you didn't ask me, but I'm going to give you the answer anyway. <laughs> okay, you got 10 years. And I'll clean it out, because he's the pitch man. Right? Yeah, exactly. Don't take my word for it. What's that? Anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> you got 150 grand. You're going to retire in 10 years. All right? First of all, how much money do you need? What is your other income sources going to be? How much money are you spending today? How much do you plan on spending in the future? Right? Do you have any other fixed income sources? Is it in an IRA, Roth IRA? You, you've got to start looking at so many other things besides 
you know, hey, spiders and creepy crawlers and <laughs> Vanguard. No, start with a plan. Then you know how to allocate your overall asset allocation. How much money should you have at risk? So you're saying, hey, I don't want to take on a lot of risk. Well, how do you know? I, I mean, I had an, a, a discussion with someone. It's like, well, what about risk tolerance? I go, I don't care about risk tolerance. You know, it's it, it, it's risk capacity is a better understanding because it's like, and, and I know that might sound the same for a lot of you, risk tolerance means if the market goes down, I'm going to freak out and I'm going to pull out, but you still need to target a rate of return. One, you got $150,000. All right, $150,000 is a lot of money, but it's not going to produce a lot of income. So you got 10 years. So if you have a globally diversified portfolio, and let's say that grows at 6%, well, now you have $300,000. How much money are you saving? How much money does that need to build up? You have time to take on a little bit of risk, right? So it's not necessarily what your risk tolerance is. I don't want to take a lot of risk because I'm afraid of the markets. You have to figure out what target rate of return that you need to generate the income that you need to accomplish your goals and then build a portfolio that way. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good answer. That's a correct answer. In other words, it's hard to it's hard to give investment advice without knowing a whole bunch of other things. I I, I will add a couple of general things though, and that is if you have ten years before you need the money, that's a fairly long period of time. You think of the Great Recession. The market went down for what, Joe? Eighteen months. 20 months, something like that. Right. This is the worst economy we've had since the Great Depression. So, in other words, usually these recessions are not over years and years and years. They happen. They're, it's tough, yes, uh, but they do recover. If you got 10 years, you got time to weather the storm. So, I, I would encourage you to take some risk, but I, I wouldn't begin to know how much uh, without doing planning to figure out what assets you have. And then, and then it's like, well, if you have Roth IRAs too, it's like, okay, so you want to take some risk, maybe you put the riskier assets in the Roth because those grow tax-free, and then you'll end up with more in your pocket. So there's there's a little bit more to this. I, I, it does sound like you, you're, you're using low-cost funds, which I Vanguard and, and others are known for low-cost, so I think that's a good thing. But he thinks they're expensive. I think he's focusing on the wrong things. Right. Right? Juan, save some money, figure out what the allocation should be, start looking at you know what the overall plan is. So... All right. See, Juan, put my name in the email next time. It'll, it'll be a little bit nicer. <laughs> That's um, it for us today. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. For Big Al Clopin, I'm Joe Anderson. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. We'll see you next weekend. Actually, on the podcast, I'm the one that does the intros and outros, so I guess I'm the ShamWow pitch woman. You'll say wow every time with Your Money, Your Wealth. <laughs> anyway, recapping today's show with Joel, I mean Joe and Big Al. Will the Trump administration be able to develop an actual tax plan? Guess we'll just have to wait and see. Retirees may want to take advantage of tax tricks like giving RMDs to charity, NUA, and Roth conversions. And those last two aren't just for retirees. And donor-advised funds may not be the best choice for you, but as always, it depends on your circumstances. Call 888-994-6257 to start on a financial strategy that's tailor-made for you. Special thanks to our guest, Fritz Gilbert. Visit theretirementmanifesto.com to learn more. Subscribe to the podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or on iTunes, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. And remember, if you've got a burning money question for Joe and Big Al to answer on Your Money, Your Wealth, email info at purefinancial.com. We may even call you and put you on the air. Listen next week for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. 
Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Your Money, Your Wealth opening song Motown Gold by Carl James Pestka is licensed under a Creative Commons license.